With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The Killer ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm birthday boy Branham. Show George, assistant to the regional manager behind the glass. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the cake. Thank you for the cake. I'm not a big believer in that. Grow men by other men cakes, but I appreciate y'all for doing that. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Joe. Of course. <laughs> Joe's silent about it, and Joel is silent about it for whatever reason. I read the card. Joel didn't sign the card. Stutes didn't sign the card either. That's mean. Q said happy birthday. Joe said happy birthday. Thanks for making my afternoons enjoyable. Thanks, Joe. Pauly, I hope your day is as good as my favorite day. That playoff football game where I was awesome. That's a very Paul thing to say. Um, it's a nice process. Or he said, enjoy your birthday. It's a nice process. That was BK. Frank said, happy killer B day. Do you get it? Mm-hmm. Get it? That's a Frank joke. Granado, how you doing? Hopefully good. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, perennial birthday wisher. Jake, may your day be as massive as the Big Apple. And then Spence, I guess Spencer Tillman, enjoy your day. You're as good a radio show host as Nick Casario is a GM. Hmm. Why are you so silent? I don't know. I'm fine. Pretty good card there. I don't know why Blankers didn't sign it. I don't know why Stutes didn't sign it. But it is what it is. Uh, Astros won a baseball game yesterday. Uh, get the series victory in St. Louis. That's great. That's good. You win series in baseball. We never complain about winning series in baseball. I think more people were focused on the fact that instead of laying an egg after putting a 10 spot on somebody, that they were able to put another 10 spot on somebody and put two good games together. That's encouraging. I mean, I don't think you beat a very good pitcher. But I think at this point, you take anything that you can get. And the fact that the offense exploded and you got the amount of production you got from the, those guys and you got another really good start is encouraging going into this massive series with the Rangers. You win baseball games, that's what you got to do. You win series, it's what you got to do. It, it sets up a, an interesting series. Although I'm not sure how seriously the Astros are taking it. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, who said it coming up at 1.30? Uh, also free agency day in the NBA. Uh, maybe we hear some news, maybe not. Uh, but... Five central time is when free agency officially opens. Kelly Eco had a bunch of really good stuff about what the Rockets are doing, what the target list is for the Rockets. We'll get to all of that uh, a little bit later. But this Astros team yesterday, we saw J.P. France pitch really well. He shut out the Cardinals for seven innings, and then Rafael Montero was back. Two shutout innings, six up, six down. Are we ready to call J.P. France good? Is he? Are we ready to call him a good pitcher? Three and three record, three thirteen ERA. Are we, wait, are we ready to say that J.P. France is good? It depends, I think, on your definition of good. But I think that for right now, we know he's had a stinker or two, but this is his first go-around in the bigs. I think the more you see him pitch, 
And the more you know he goes on, a, he attacks hitters. He's not afraid to throw any of the pitches in his repertoire. I think he's been really good for the Astros, and I think he's a good pitcher. I think that as much as we always hear about how they rate the farm system and they you know, they have certain guys that they think are at the top of the list as pitchers uh, in your system, whether you knew about him or thought about him or not at the start of the year, without him, you'd be in a world of hurt, and I think he has been good. I'm ready to call J.P. France good. Like I, I really am. This is 10 starts now for J.P. France. Do I think he's going to pitch to a 315 ERA for his entire career? No, I don't think that. But I'm ready to say that J.P. France, after 10 starts, is good enough to be in the Astros' rotation and to pencil him into the rotation from this point on forward until the duration of his contract runs out with the, with the Astros. And, of course, that's six years. I'm not ready to call him one of my playoff starting pitchers. I don't know if I'm ready to cement him as my number four in the postseason, but I'm a lot closer to that then I am saying that he's not a big league pitcher, no, starting I, pitcher. Look, I, I have more confidence in him than a B-Lock or a Blanco or guys like that, and I think that, that the question I was going to ask you was twofold. Are you confident enough in, in him to put him at four, and then would you still feel that way if Urquidy comes back healthy? Uh, I think he, I would have him higher on my starting pitcher power rankings than Jose Urquidy. Right okay. now, this second, I mean, how can you not? He's he's pitching to a three fifteen ERA. Jose Urquidy, before he got hurt, wasn't pitching all that right. well. Like I, I like well, Urquidy. Urquidy's won some big games. I think Jose Urquidy is a starting level pitcher in the Houston Astros rotation. He can be a rotation member of a World Series winning team. I don't have him ahead of JP France though. I I, I well. Here's the way I would say it. it's an unfair way of positioning it, but if because you can't get your best best Urquidy, but just say instead of the way Urquidy was before, right before he 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 got put on the IL, say you got you know really these the not the best Urquidy, but a really good version of Urquidy, and what you've seen of France, where do you put the two? Um, because I think, I think his it's stuff is more dominant. I think they have similar stuff. I don't think that either one of them has overpowering stuff, and like that shows up in their strikeout numbers. Like France has 44 strikeouts in 60 innings. I imagine Jose Arquidi's probably around that same percentage over the course of his career. I, I find them to be very similar pitchers in that they pitch to contact, they are able to command, they don't walk a ton. I think Arquidi actually has more control than J.P. France, but that can get him in trouble too. More barrels, more balls in the zone. They get barreled up and hit out of the park. Uh, I, I put them on the same tier. But because France is doing it for me right now, like in this moment, whereas Jose Arquiti struggled to start the year and then had the shoulder injury, I'm going France over Arquiti. I don't think either one of them has like terrific stuff, though. I think France has a better fastball. I, I think that it's. I think it's a little bit more. It's got a harder. It's got a little bit harder when it comes in there. Harder on the barrel. I think it really. It can. A hitter still has to have a hard time if, if they're not if they're not sitting on a dead red fastball, I think, as opposed to Urquidy. I don't think Urquidy's fastball is as good. I think Urquidy's other pitches are better than, than France's. Probably. I think it's fair to say. But uh, I'm ready to call J.P. France good. Are you ready to call J.P. France good? 713-780-ESPN. Perineo, uh, or Ocho, I call him. Um, he says, are you ready to say that he's your second best starting pitcher? He's got a better ERA. Than, he is your second best ERA. He's got a better ERA than Javier. He's got a better ERA than Hunter Brown. I'm still going Hunter Brown over J.P. France. I still believe that Christian Javier is going to figure it out and be better than J.P. France whenever this team gets to the postseason, if they get to the postseason. So I'm not ready to call him a top two starter. I'm not ready to call him a top three starter. But I am ready right now to say J.P. France is a good starting pitcher and he can be in my rotation for the foreseeable future. I agree. I agree. And again, it's eased your mind and some of your concerns with all the pitchers that are out for the year 
and what you're looking at going towards the trade deadline of pitchers that you may feel like you now need to acquire based on the uncertainty about which Javier you're going to get, the Javier. The, and now they're talking about what you and I were talking about yesterday, that there's maybe there's a chance they, they move him back a day or maybe we don't see him in the Rangers series. I think it's still TBD. I don't think we're going to see him. Uh, like the way that the schedule plays out, like it makes sense to get Fromber an extra day. It makes sense to give Javier obviously an extra day. So I think that they go with a six starting pitcher. I think he's going to pitch on um, Sunday because you have you have Blanco tonight. You have Hunter Brown tomorrow. Right. They've, they've announced. I think that they're going to they're going to go with a six starter. Maybe it's Dubin. Maybe it's Belak again. Who knows? But I think that they'll have a six starter on Sunday. Then you can set up. Fromber to pitch Monday, and then after the Rangers series concludes on Monday, you have six games left. Yeah. So then you just get one trip through the six-man rotation. You're at the All-Star break. You've kind of manipulated the schedule where you're monitoring arms. You're kind of preventing a lot of innings, and then you're ready to go coming out of the All-Star break. Now, with that being said, does it give you – to me, it's a little bit of a letdown thinking that this Rangers series, and I heard the bench talking about this morning, it might be the biggest pre-All-Star break series that this team has ever faced. But going in, you know it's a big series. You know you can make up a whole ton of ground, or you could be as much as nine games back. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see my two best pitchers pitch at some point in the series. If he's not going to pitch, and I know that you're going to get the, the legit back end of the, the of the starting pitchers, I'm a little disappointed in that. Would you say right now this moment, Javier, is your top two, though? Because I, no, I would argue yeah. Brown and Fromber are your yeah. top two, and you're getting Fromber and Brown. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I just... Based on how it stacked up from the start of the year and, and at the end of last year, I would like to see Javier in the mix to face the Rangers because of how important the series looks like it is right now. I I needed I would like to see good Javier. Like if it's good Javier, it's a much different conversation. Sure. If it's Christian Javier who looks like he's throwing BP his last two outings, I'm cool that he's not facing the Rangers offense. That is a lethal offense. I'm totally fine that they're going to you know they're not skipping a Javier start. They're going to push Javier back. I think that's my guess. They've not announced this, but if you're also looking at this from like the best interest of the of Christian Javier, like what is in the best interest of Javier and Christian Javier's mindset and getting him right? Is it on the road against a potent Texas Rangers lineup, or is it waiting an extra day, coming back home, and getting him against the Colorado Rockies? Like, if I'm trying to get Javier right, you know, the mechanics, the the fastball, all that stuff, but just from a mental point of view, I'd rather Javier face the Rockies than the Rangers. Yeah, I think you're right, because it's a get-right type team, too. Uh, I definitely see your point there. It's just... Again, to me, because of the fact that I know how Dusty likes to Dusty with lineups and things when I'm really expecting, uh, you know, it's a bigger game or it's a good matchup and I really want to see them put the best lineup out there and then I see, you know, four of the young guys in there at the same time and I'm just going, oh, that's going to affect my viewing pleasure and hopefully the game turns out better than my expectations. And that's kind of looking at this series and then contemplating whether Javier pitches or not. Initially, yes, it's disappointing, but you're right. Big picture is you need him right for the rest of the year. So if it means that you sacrifice his start in this series, I get it. You, five games is the lead right now for the Rangers, and you you mentioned the back end of the range. Like if you get swept, you're nine games back. If yeah. you sweep, you're one game back, yeah. and it's anywhere else in between uh, of the way possible outcomes for the the four game series. I would not necessarily disagree that it is a big series, maybe one of the biggest series before an All Star break that the Astros have had in some time. I would also say that there's still half the season left to play. Mm-hmm. Like, what's more important, the next 81 games or the next four games? It's the next 81, and you have to take care of yourselves before you're worrying about the team that's five games ahead of you more than anything else. Priority one is you. Priority two is chasing the Texas Rangers. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I think 
at the end of the day, you it's again you're and you're right because a lot of people say, oh the All Star break you got half the season left. No, right now you have half the season yeah. left. Eighty one left to play yeah. as of right now. Yeah, so you know that there's still plenty of baseball to be played. The one thing that you don't want to do is, especially if there's any kind of concern about Javier possibly being e- either completely just drained and or anything medical, don't push him now because you're, in a, you're probably going to push him later in the season as you get down the stretch. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Uh, he's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. Rockets free agency opens up later today. Kelly Eco covers the Rockets, covers it better, as good as anybody. He'll be joining us in the 2 o'clock hour. The Astros' offense didn't have any problems with that 10-run curse yesterday. They scored 14 runs. Easier to do this the day after they scored 14 runs. Easier to do this the day after they scored 24 runs in the last two. But positive signs of life for this Houston Astros' offense. Have you seen it? What is it? Are you ready to say J.P. France is good? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Who was that place that bought us a birthday cake last year? You remember that? They brought us a cake for our uh, birthdays? Dessert gallery, because I had said that that's where Lisa always loves to get her cake. Yeah, I remember them texting in and being like, we're going to bring you all cakes for your birthday. And then they brought in like two cakes, like in the middle of June, because we're June birthdays. What flavors were those? One was like a well, one was you like, like it. One was like a strawberry. Yeah, and then they had like a chocolate one. I think. So. What happened to the dessert gallery guy? Texas in dessert gallery guy. I loved it when he's you brought their, us cake last year. He's their delivery guy. I know he's always in the truck listening, unless he was their delivery guy. But oh, I don't know because they even have a vegan cake, which is what Lisa what that's enjoy? her go to. No, not me. That's her <laughs> go to. She actually got ticked off and went and got me one from there, which I would not have done because they're a little spendy. Really? But she Oh, went, I remember that. For yeah, she got me one this year too. And then she was like steaming around the cake. I go, what's wrong? She goes, Well, you guys can eat the cake. I can't. I was like, Well, you were right there. Get yourself <laughs> some too. Yeah, dessert gallery bringing his cake last year for our birthdays was awesome. I, I love that place. That place is really good. Uh seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Positive signs of life of this Houston Astros offense. We've seen it the last couple of days. Look, no Jordan. Uh, they've scored 10 runs on Wednesday. They scored 14 runs yesterday. Not great pitching, let's be honest. Adam Wainwright is washed. He's old. But, hey, I'd rather them score runs against bad pitchers than not score runs against bad pitchers, which we've seen too many times this year. The Astros are now above average in baseball, too, in runs per game, which is exciting. It helps when you score 24 runs in the last two. But we're seeing signs of life with this offense, Blakers. First off, Jose Altuve is a freak. Jose Altuve is Hall of Famer, best Astro of all time. He still needs to get the counting stats up. But Jose Altuve is a freak show. He is awesome. And one thing that he is doing this year that we haven't really seen him do a lot of the past, he's he's always been better at this and gotten better at this and developed in this area, but he's walking a ton, which is perfect for a leadoff man. His on-base percentage today, if you look at Major League Baseball and you look at or in the American League, and you look at dudes that would qualify, his on-base percentage today would be fourth in the American League. That's exactly what you need out of a leadoff man. His OPS is 10th, by the way. So getting Jose Altuve back, trying to get him going, trying to keep him from getting injuries. And he's had three injuries this year, which I don't love. He's had the thumb, he's had the quad, and he had the hill. Or not the quad, he had the um, the same thing that, um, that Jordan's going through right now. 
Not the uh, quad. The, the, the oblique. The oblique. There you go. So he's had the thumb. He's had the oblique. He's had the heel. They need to keep him healthy because when Jose Altuve is healthy, he's the straw that stirs the drink. He's a freak show. He's an on-base machine. He hits key home runs. Jose Altuve being here, Jordan's been hurt for a while. You know Jordan and Altuve have only had three weeks together? And, and Altuve was doing the whole extended spring training. So Altuve and Jordan have only had three weeks together. Altuve right now, no Jordan. Jordan early in the season, no Altuve. The fact that they've only had three weeks together and we're starting to see signs of this offense, that's encouraging to me. It, it is very encouraging. And I think that for all the people that are in panic mode already that are saying when you know we keep saying, look, there might be more help, uh, help coming before we even get to a point where they start thinking about who they're going to bring in, you know, a lot of people losing their minds don't realize that stat right there. I think that's a very impactful stat to say those guys have only been played only played together this entire season three weeks. I mean, that's huge because they're your two best hitters. And yeah, Bregman's coming on and he and he's doing a lot of things to make you feel a lot more encouraged, as is Abreu. But let's just be real. I mean, over the course of time, like you said, whether he's the greatest Astro or not, which I believe he is too. He's the greatest Astro in this current golden age of Astros baseball, the most consistent and a guy that you need at the top of your, in, in your lineup and at the top of your lineup, especially when you've got a big bopper like Jordan in the middle. When those two guys are healthy, it's a different lineup. Guys see better pitches. There's a lot more runners on base and a lot more potential to do damage. Tucker snapping out of it a little bit more too. I mean, these are all really encouraging signs. I get it's the Cardinals, but we know that you can also trip over yourself and make mistakes and look bad against bad teams. The fact that you got two out of three and you did a lot of damage offensively, extremely encouraging. The next one is, uh, look, Jordan Altuve, three weeks together, still getting some offense, especially lately, encouraging. The next one is, look, we bow down to the brilliance of Willie. Jose Abreu in June is a sign of major encouragement. 294 average in June. 313 on base in June. 522 slugging in June. 835 OPS in June, 21 RBIs in 23 games in June. What we've seen from Jose Abreu, and everybody told us that he was a slow starter. We've been telling you he's a slow starter. It's usually not that slow, but his June is back of the baseball card. His June is why Jeff Bagwell courted him. His June is why we, is the is the city of Houston that follows the Astros, love the move in the offseason. Jose Abreu's June is a major sign of encouragement. Don't forget the other key words, because if we're going to get the back of the baseball card, we also know he's starting to show signs of return on investment. Yeah. He's starting to look like he's actually going to be worth it for, for the pickup that they made, and we don't know about the, the, the next two years of the deal. But this is who you signed up for when you went and you got Jose Abreu this offseason. And, and as well as we all know, it's Bagwell, it's Crane, it's whoever it is that did whatever they did. You know he's not going anywhere, and he probably wasn't all season. The fact that he's doing what he's doing is just a massive shot in the arm for a team that desperately needs it. And because they're in chase mode, because they're still with a mass unit of injuries that they're trying to recover from, every little bit helps. But when they all start kind of happening at the same time, Bregman has signs of life. Abreu has signs of life. Tucker's picking it up a notch. And you're waiting for your best hitter to come back. And Altuve now steady in the lineup and the scare was the heel. But coming right back off the heel and not missing a beat, these are all massive positives for a team that needs them right now. The possibility and the hope of having Altuve and Jordan together for an extended period of time. And Altuve's been crushing it. Abreu's been crushing it in June. You mentioned a couple of those other guys. Alex Bregman, last 10 games. Slashing 357, 438, 667. Like, that's MVP Bregman. That's the Bregman of, you know, whenever he was finishing top five in MVP voting back-to-back years. I don't even need this Bregman. I don't even need MVP Bregman. But I want Bregman that's going to hit 250, get on base 35% of the time, and it's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs a year. I'm content and satisfied with that Alex Bregman. 
He's been crushing the baseball in his last 10 games. And he's got, what, three grand slams this season? Well, I would take the last one out from yesterday. Yeah, but, but three grand yeah. slams, over 21 RBIs yeah. with run, when the bases Thank are loaded. Thank you for saying RBIs. Like, when, when, when the bases have been loaded, Alex Bregman's been so clutch this year. Yep. Like, he has been, it's been, when they put it up the first game of the Cardinals series when they had the bases loaded and he didn't do anything with it, it was just a ground out. It was, like, astonishing to see 17 RBIs, two grand slams hitting above 300. I think it was, like, above 350 with the bases loaded. He's crushing it right now in, like, in the big moments like that. If he plays like this, it's a total game changer. We've talked yep. about it a lot. Like If the corners get going, this team's different. And right now, Abreu and Bregman are putting it together at the same time, and this team is just so much better when that's happening. You got that one up there far yesterday, too, up to Big Mac land at Bush. Uh, Alec Burleson, who he hit that off of, did pitch in college. Oh. Did pitch in pitch at East Carolina. I've seen him pitch. I've oh. seen him mow some dudes down. Like He, he was actually... Like they were, they were really thinking of drafting him as pitcher. It's a big boy. Yeah, he's he was a really good college player. I mean, he's a good hitter, but not as good a pitcher. And then Kyle Tucker, like Kyle Tucker's been killing it lately. Kyle Tucker right now is on a six game hitting streak. In that six games, he is slashing three ninety one, four eighty two on base percentage. And the next number isn't an OPS. The next number is strictly slugging. He is slugging seven eighty three. That is unheard of. That is a massive number. That math, quickly off the top of my head, that's right around a 1,200 OPS. And look, small sample size, six games, but these guys are starting to click. Altuve, Abreu, Bregman, Tucker. You're going to get Jordan Alvarez back around the All-Star break. Uh, uh, Ken Rosenthal put in the Athletic today. They're expecting Brantley back around the All-Star game. So, like, you're getting some of your contributors that that are really helping you right now. And you have help on the way. Encouragement with this offense. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. As much as we've been living in the shadows of darkness this entire season with all the setbacks and the hiccups and the different ways that they've found ways to lose games you're supposed to win and not keep a lineup together when it looks like you're getting some momentum going, it seems like all signs are pointing in the right direction now. And as Dana Brown puts the, the rumors, rumors out there or it talks about what he might want to do, I think his his thinking might change a little bit based on the fact that all these positive signs are happening with your offensive lineup. We talked about at the start of the show what France means to this rotation when you were thinking that you might only be able to go two, three deep. Now you've got options, especially now with what happens with Javier. A lot of good things happening for this club right now, but they've got to continue to keep the momentum going. They can't trip over themselves again this series and just get knocked around because they're playing a really good baseball team as much as Houston fans don't want to admit that, and they're playing them at a time when they could actually make up for a lot of the wrongs at the start of the season. If the Astros take two, I'd be happy. Just a split? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I don't think you'd be unhappy with a split. It depends on how it happens, too. Like with the Dodgers series, I think you could have said in all three games you, had, you were in, a, you were in a, a winnable game. And in two of them, you should have won. You only won one. But if you get your doors blown off in the two that you lose in Texas, I might be a little upset. But I understand it's just the midway point in the season. There's just way too much baseball to be played. I don't even care if they get blown out in two games. Like if you get if you win two games in Arlington against a team that's in first place on their turf, and you don't have Jordan Alvarez, and you're starting your fifth starter and probably a sixth starter, you win two games in Arlington. I'm content. Like I think that that is a okay for the Astros and I'm greedy, but I get it. Yeah, I understand your greediness, too. I wouldn't be mad if they won three. Uh, right. zero four four six. I'm ready to call France neutral. Ha-ha. Uh, 3039, the real question is, what will Dusty do? Can we assume that he'll slide or Keedy in the right spot, regardless of what Brown and the rookies are doing? Uh, that's from Dusty in Mount Bellevue. 
I don't think they really have a choice. Right. Like they, I mean, you're not going to bump JP France. He's pitching way too good. I think the question: if you get Urquidy back late July, do you go six man? Do you go Urquidy or Blanco? Like those are the two questions you're going to be asking yourselves. It's not a is France going to get bumped for a Jose Urquidy? And it depends on what Blanco you're getting and what Urquidy looks like when he comes back. Yep. Because Blanco's had moments where you're like, I don't know if this guy's worthy of being in the rotation. Except for you have to have you need someone, but. If it's your choice and he pitches like he did after the first inning of the Dodger game, you're like, okay, well, that, that's a great problem to have. I think the bigger question to Dusty in Mount Bellevue is, what's Dusty going to do with a lineup when everybody starts hitting and he starts still giving like multiple guys days off when we don't need it against opponents you need to beat? That's what worries me the most. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially with more options. 713-780-ESPN. Dana Brown mentioned some options, too, maybe trading from the big league team. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later as well. But NBA free agency opens up this evening. We saw James Harden yesterday pick up his option. Some surprise there. This move by James Harden is interesting, but it's also a sign about what the Houston Rockets are doing. It's a sign of their direction, and it's also the first sign that the Rockets are fully giving the reins to Ime Adoka. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville getting things done and making a difference for people on a daily basis when it comes to the Neograph procedure. The Neograph procedure is a game changer. You know why? Because it gets your hair back. Genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides of the back of your head no matter how bald you get on top or in front at your hairline. And Doc Linville can help where you get to those areas where you don't have any more hair or you're thinning. It's simply put the way to do business. It's not sprays and creams and foams that just match the problem. It's taking care of it once and for all. You take the hair from the sides and the back. You put it where you need it most. You get more coverage area. You get more confidence because you like your appearance again on a daily basis. And for ESPN listeners, there's a special deal right now where the where it's absolutely more enticing to at least go talk to Doc Linville and his staff and see if it's right for you too. Go to 975 Hair. Dot com. Sign up for an appointment. It's free, no obligation, nothing out of pocket. You owe nothing, and there's nothing that you're signing for. You just go in with an open mind. Talk to them, ask questions, get answers, see if the procedure's right for you, too. It was right for me. I did it. Couldn't be happier with it. See the results on a daily basis and know that that hair ain't going anywhere because Doc Linville has already said 95 to 99% of the follicles moved are going to stay and grow and be with you for the long haul. Check them out and tell them I sent you by because I think they're great people and they get results. Go to 975hair.com. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Kelly Eco will be with us at 2 o'clock, covers the Rockets for the Athletic, has been breaking tons of news when it comes to the Rockets, was I think the first one, first one that I saw that it's potential that Harden's going to opt in. First one that I saw that the Rockets are not going to be an option for James Harden. He also mentioned the Clippers as a dark horse candidate for James Harden. And what did we find out late last evening? It looks like the Clippers are the front runners for James Harden. After he opted into his deal, uh, we'll talk to Kelly Eco at 2 o'clock. We'll talk about plenty of what he has said already in his uh, article this morning on The Athletic. First things first, let's let's talk about the Harden thing because this broke after the uh, the show yesterday, Blankers. I didn't see him opting in. Were you surprised by the opt-in news? I, I think somewhat surprised because I was curious, no matter how much we heard the rumors, and Kelly was the first, and he wasn't wrong, to, to rumble that, uh, uh, I think it was a month ago, that the Rockets would be interested in Harden. 
But then we started asking at what price, and then eventually we found out that they had pulled out of the whatever, whether you know whoever fabricated or got it out there for for the first rumor. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised because I didn't think he was going to get max money like he wanted. When you and I were talking about it, like to think that you'd have to pay James Harden fifty mil even for two years was a hard pill to swallow. For four was just unbearable to me. But the bigger surprise to me was. I had said to you even yesterday, Daryl Morey loves him some some James Harden. He ain't going to let him go. So when I saw he opted in, I was like, oh, well, because Embiid's first year of his new deal starting up, they needed some extra money to make some moves to make the team better. It's probably backloaded. But when I heard that little final bit of it about to discuss a trade and find a trade partner for Harden, that's what surprised me the most. Yeah, when I saw opt-in, I was like, okay, it may, okay, he's going to give it one more year in Philly, hit the market, blah, 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 blah. But when I saw that they're going to work on a trade, I was like, oh, Okay, but also you won the Rockets. Like you're not, yeah, no. he's not going to opt into the deal and then demand a trade to the Rockets. He would have opted out and signed with the Houston Rockets. So it was pretty clear as soon as that news was out, which is good. We didn't want James Harden uh, to be a Houston Rocket. But I'll go a step further. And then we saw the reports. We saw Kelly Eco. We saw the Woes reports on Harden, why he did this, and why Houston was not an option. And it looks like Houston broke up with Harden before Harden ever had the chance to reunite with Houston. And what this tells me, and this was a conversation that we had when they were going through the coaching search. This was a conversation that we had whenever they hired Ime Adoka. How much influence and say is Ime Adoka going to have? Is he going to tell Rafael Stone, I don't want player A, don't don't bring me player A, and he brings him player A anyways. Uh, we were wondering if Ime Adoka is going to be like, I don't want this guy, and Tillman Fertitta, and the Fertitas are like, well, we want them, so you're going to have to figure it out. Yesterday was the first sign that the Rockets, the Rockets are giving the full reins to Ime Adoka, which is great from a Rafael Stone perspective. You go get the players that Adoka wants, the type of players, who's going to fit into his culture and his philosophy and how he wants to run a team. And this is also great for the Fertitas. Tillman Fertitta, Patrick Fertitta, staying out of it, not meddling, and doing what they told Ime Adoka they were going to do whenever they hired him. This is your team. We want your imprints all over this team. And yesterday was a major clue that they're doing just that. Well, and it goes to a conversation you and I had about a week, week and a half ago when I said as much as I've been harping all along about how the the parallels and, and the mirror images of the Texans and the Rockets, D'Amico is the guy that has – the, the the most power with the Texans. And when you got the right coach, you realized he was going to be influential. You didn't know when it was going to happen or how soon it was going to happen, and we saw it with the Texans. I think you're right. I think this is the first step of showing you went out and won the, the coaching search offseason. You got the best guy on the market from a basketball perspective. But with that comes power and the responsibility of knowing that you're going to have to make the calls, and then the calls need to come to fruition. But he's got the longest leash. And it, it shows that the Fertitas at least are trusting their hire because you don't hire a guy and then take away all of his power. So if you hire a guy and then capitalize on his knowledge of the game and, and the league and the things that he knows, you're doing it the right way. Plus, you want to build you want to build a roster that fits him. Like, it's round peg, square hole. Like, if he's telling you that I, I need a roster that looks like this and you give him a roster that looks like that, then you're not going to have success. Fit is very important. Defense. We talked yeah. about from the minute the Harden rumors came out there, we're like, well, who's going to tell James to play defense? Because he's going to have to be telling James every possession to get back on D to play the way he wants to play. That's why it didn't seem to be a fit from the jump. I, I thought that whenever they hired him, that this had to have been one of the recruiting tools to bring Adoka in. Because I don't think Adoka takes the Rockets job 
and is like, well, we're going to do whatever we want. We're not going to talk to you, and you're not going to have much influence. I feel that one of the biggest recruiting tools that they had for Ime Adoka was one they were first to offer. You know, They were the first ones to get out there and, and offer Adoka, but there was other interested teams. There's tons of money available to spend for free agents. There's a very young nucleus, and I think that they told Adoka, look, this is your ship. Like We're going to cater to you. Stone's going to be the general manager that builds a player roster that you want. For Tillman Fertitta, hey, look, I'm the owner. I'm, I'm payrolling this whole thing. I don't know as much basketball as you do. I'm going to get out of the way and let you do your thing, which is how Tillman runs all his businesses. He doesn't meddle. He hires smart people that make smart decisions, and he cashes in. He's running the Rockets the same way, which is great. We heard the other day when they introduced the rookies, too. What did Rafael Stone talk about when he, said that, when he was asked about the relationship with Adoka? He said the gloves came off. So Adoka's telling him, like, this is the way it's going to be. And then in The Athletic today, Kelly Eco says Stone has spent a considerable amount of time with Adoka over the last few weeks, getting a clear understanding for his wants and needs. This is what a general manager should do. Try to build the roster that best suits the head coach and how he wants to run it. And I think the Rockets are off to a great start this offseason. No question. you got to put your egos aside. And as much as Rafael was trying to make sure on a daily basis he proved that he was worthy of the job because he had never done the job before or anything close to it, it's now time to really focus on this phase two that Tillman and and uh, Udoka and now Stone are getting involved and, and using in, in their quotes in saying that it's time to focus more on winning than anything else. If you're trying to win, then you're trying to put the right groceries in the cupboard so that the coach can cook. And so this is the first sign that, much like we said, hey, how are Nick and, and, and D'Amico going to get along? How are they going to get through the draft? How are they going to do these things? It's exactly what you're seeing right now with Rafael Stone and with with Udoka, and it's great because I think that's the first thing that you're going to see, free agency, all right? The draft was one thing, and you got the best talent based on where you were picking without having to make trades. But now as the team really starts to take shape, when you get into free agency and then molding your offense and your defensive systems, that's where it's going to take shape. And to, to push Harden's name off the table was another milestone. It was massive. It's probably the biggest milestone so far to date between these two guys in this organization because the owner... Make no mistake about it. The owner and his son were enamored with bringing James Harden back from the early stages of the rumors. But now they realize with this guy in charge, with the way he wants to play, it was never going to work. And that's what we tried to stress to people. So I think that the Rockets truly are doing things the right way this offseason. Yeah, I hope that this is also, too, that even if Tillman and Patrick wanted to bring Harden back, that they were part of the group that really drew that line in the sand of, we're not giving you a four-year deal. Like, we'll give you two, we'll experiment, we'll try to build around you for two years and do something. But, like, if you're not going to buy in and you're not going to take two years, then you're not a fit here any longer. And it feels like that's the moment where, like, this organization can change for the better by this. It feels like a small day, but it, it it's so, like just like the winds are changing. Joe, you bring up a good point, though, because this was a watershed moment. Because James Harden got a, got a bee slap to the face in terms of James Harden used to speak and say jump, and everybody in the organization said how high, including ownership. James Harden thought he was going to come back here, and it was going to be his list of demands, like Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. You're going to play this way. I'm going to be the star of the show. I don't care about the kids. You were going to hire this guy, bring in this player. And the fact that instead of going that way, everyone in this organization now from the top down said, nope, not this time. You're not going to run the show. You're not getting the money in the years you want. We're not doing that, and our coach is also going to lead us in the way we're going to do things. 
That's a massive moment for this franchise. Yeah, because it also it, it like look maybe just a, a hard lesson learned. Tillman bought this team at a time when James was in con- control, Daryl was in control. It's hard to change that. Like you're not going to just come in and be like, "Well, I'm the new owner. I'm changing everything right now." But Tillman saw how much of a disaster it was. The fact that they couldn't really trade James Harden for like his peak value. They just had to get a bunch of draft capital for him and take this franchise in a direction they didn't want to go. But what they've probably learned, too, is that, look, Jalen Green, we hope you're James Harden good, but you'll never get the power that he had. I kind of hope this is a sign of things to come, too, for the future, that like they just they know they're on a better path than they've probably ever been, which feels really good. You're not player-driven. Uh, I think you have to have that. one one zero six. everyone says Adoka's a defensive guru of a coach, and he doesn't mess around. How's he going to do that when all we have is playground hoopers? How is he going to tell Jalen Green to play defense? If they don't play defense, they're going to be traded next offseason. Like, it's well, that simple. Like None of those guys are to the level and stature in the NBA. We think that Jalen Green can get there. We hope that Alpi Shingun can get there. We hope that Jabari can get there. None of them are there right now where they're going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to play defense. I'm going to get mine. And then they're going to be here next year. Like It's that simple. You either do it or you don't, and we find a new home for you. Well, but the other answer to that question is just watch what they do in free agency. Because instead of bringing in a guy like Harden that doesn't play defense, watch the guys they do bring in. As much as you want to say, and you've pointed this out, about Dylan Brooks being fake tough and not backing it up by making shots, Dylan Brooks defends. And when he defends, he's one of the better defenders in the league. Mm -hmm. If you get a guy like that, a Van Vliet, who can still put ball pressure on a point guard and play the way he's supposed to play, this is where Odoka starts putting his true mark on this team. He didn't draft the young kids. He can try and mold them. But you know what he can do in free agency? He can get guys that are going to play his way. It's going to be defense first. All right, no Harden. Well, who could be here? You just mentioned Fred Van Vliet. Kelly Eco has a Rockets big board. The Rockets have $66 million to spend by more than anybody, way more than anybody else in the NBA. It all kicks off this evening. Here we go. And let's take a look at some of these free agents that the Rockets are planning to meet with at 5 Central this evening. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. As you know, it's birthday uh, birthday boy Branham. And whenever I'm having a birthday, I like to drink. I like a good drink at the end of the day. I especially like a good drink at the end of my birthday. Vodka, gin, bourbon, all part of the rotation for me since it's my birthday. I might have one of each. Gentleman Spirits does all of them better than anyone else. How do they do it? They're revolutionary. Perseido technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits you'll ever taste. Purification of Gentle Ben is unrivaled. You'll love what's not in it. Try a sip of Gentle Ben vodka, gin, straight bourbon, cast strength bourbon. Compare it to what you drink, you will never go back. I've been a Gentle Ben man ever since I had that first sip. You get all the flavor, none of the burn. It is smooth. It is clean. It eliminates the burn. Enjoy your drink. Don't work through your drink. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store on your way home today. Ask for to your favorite restaurant or bar. We had Shad Miller in here yesterday recording a commercial. COO of Little Woodrow's. You know what Little Woodrow's has in their bars? Gentle Ben. Or just head to the Gentle Ben Tasting Room as well. Head over to GentleBen.com if you're looking for more information about their liquor. Also... Register to win Astro tickets. They're trying to send you to an Astro game in July. And when you go to that Astro game, stop by the Gentle Ben Bar right when you walk in the Union Station entrance. Gentle Ben, the secret ingredient is what's not in it. The Killer Bees. What about the murderous Jays? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays. 
Coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. AR Platinum, thank you for the birthday wishes. One eight seven two. thank you for the birthday wishes. Bear, thank you for the birthday wishes. 713-780-3776. HRP listener line. Uh, 9798- 9780. If you have to go three years to get Fred Van Vliet, are you guys comfortable with that? I don't like three years. It just depends on how comfortable you are with potentially going over the cap or doing what you need to do to take care of your own and keep them in the fold as well as an extra year of Fred Van Vliet. I don't want to do three years. The The example that you used yesterday, though, maybe makes it tolerable. Like you mentioned, like hey, these contract you can trade these guys. Mm-hmm. Like Fred Van Vliet, if he goes down the the tubes and is not as good, even in that third year, it's an expiring deal. Like you can get out of expiring deals pretty easily. The struggle would be if he's awful year one and you're ready to get out of him in year two and he still has two years left. But I really don't see that coming. In a perfect world, if I had my druthers, I want a two year deal. I don't think three years is a deal breaker though. Four years is a deal breaker for me. I'm not going four years oh, four, on Fred VanVleet. Yeah. If I if I have to get a third to make sure that it's done, mm-hmm. I don't really like the Plan B point guards. We'll get to a couple of those here in a second. I think you have to overspend. I'd rather overspend for two than three, but I, that third year is not a deal breaker for me. Where a fourth year would be. Let me ask you this, just because I was thinking about it yesterday after you and I had the conversation, and I really, truly, in my heart of hearts, thought there might be three to five guys that are going to get competition and multiple offers at what they want. Now, there's got to be plenty of teams that want to bargain, right? Who else is going after Fred Van Vliet and paying him 40-plus? I, I, I put on the rundown for you guys today, but I had found ESPN put out a thing about what they thought each of these guys were going to get paid, and Van Vliet was from 30 to 35. The Rockets are starting at 40-plus. I don't think the Rockets get up for less than 40. But that's my thing. I get that if there's competition. Where's the unless Toronto try really and I don't think that they're desperate I don't think they're going to want to pay that to bring him back. Who else has given Fred Van Vliet 40 million dollars a year? What do you guys think uh San Antonio's going to do? I didn't, who said that they're going to do something that's a surprise? Are they going to try to win? Did right? you see that? Well, yeah. Austin see that? Reeves, Austin Reeves was someone that they said they were going to go after, which was a little surprising to Can me. they poison pill in Austin Reeves? Because like Van Fleet, I don't me, think the Lakers are going to let him go no matter what he gets. I don't think so either. Like especially if they're just like LeBron, we're going to do whatever you want. I think that they would match a max. I really do. I, do. I, I stupid, completely agree with but that. I think it that is they would because they're they're backed into a corner now. They've got no point guard. They don't want D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder saying you screwed me the last time. I'm waiting to see what you want to do. And I'm if I'm the Lakers, I don't know if you can afford to get rid of him <laughs> because Chris Paul's not coming through that door. Yeah, yeah I, I just wonder like if Van Fleet would make sense in San Antonio if they're going to try to just immediately win. It could be with Wembenyama. He's like, their kind the of point guard. Yeah. He's a Popovich type point. Hey, that, point exactly. Guard. Like it's like. It's like Tony Parker light in some ways. Well, it's also weird because DeJounte Murray was a guy that showed way more talent than where they took him, but he wasn't a pop guy, and he was shown the door, and now you find out why when he's kind of stirring it up the way he's doing it. Van Vliet's one of those guys that seems to be all business like pop, where he's just going to do what pop says, run the system, do the things he wants him to do, make Wembenyama better. It, you're right. It's probably a good fit. 8693, Branham's okay over spending. Jeez, it's a weird day. They have to. Like well, they, they have literally to spend, yeah. have to spend fifty well, million dollars to hit the salary floor. No, sixty five. If you just you and I split one, what's that? Well, you and I split a mil, and they can still have sixty five if yeah. they have to spend it under the yeah. But they come on, they guys. don't have to spend the sixty five. Oh, sorry, Joe. We'll think about. We'll you. take you to lunch. Yeah. They don't have to spend. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to.
to spend. They have to spend the fl- to the floor. They have sixty six to spend in all. Spend they have to spend forty seven to yeah. hit the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So like you have to overspend. Like pick the guy that you want to overspend for. Well, ideally you'd like to pick three guys because that's the other thing I was looking at the list for. If you skip on Van Vliet, can you still get quality talent that would make you better? I think you can, but not a point. I do too, but not Ooh, a point. I think you can. I don't know. I mean, he's not Fred Van Vliet, but but to me. Uh, Gabe Vincent in Miami at 12, or if you have to pay him only 12 a year, and he's a guy that runs the show for you based on what he did in the playoffs and the fact that he can make shots and he can distribute and he can defend, I'm okay with that. I don't know if he's that junkyard dog, veteran well, point not, guard, defense first, that like I don't that think Adoka that really anywhere. wants. I don't, like, think, Vincent, I don't even think Van Vliet is that guy. I don't he's, think he's way closer, on, and you're not going to push back at this. He's way he's way closer than Vincent is. Oh well, I don't yeah. know, man. Like Vincent, I think he's like. If I, I don't can think get he's a you like point three guard. to four players instead, and they're uh, younger and they're above average, they're not quite. The like, problem with three or four though is now you're cutting into the youngsters' minutes. But if instead of if I if I could try and entice you for a second, instead of Dylan Brooks, I can give you um, what's the guy I've been pushing in in Boston. Williams. Oh, Grant, Grant Williams. 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 Grant Williams. If I can give you Grant Williams and I can give you Gabe Vincent and I can give you – there was two other guys and I can look at the list. But I can give you those younger type players, maybe not as proven, but at like 8 to 10 mil less minimum. And in the case of Van Vliet, like 28 million less than what you're going to pay Van Vliet, I think you're you're in a better position. Here's what Kelly Eco had about if they miss out on Van Vliet, if they miss out on point guard. And they – he mentions at the outset of this, you know, the free agency opening, uh, they're going to meet with Dylan Brooks and Brooke Lopez. Sources tell Kelly Eco they also hope to meet with Van Vliet, which I kind of took that mm. as. You know what I think that is, though? Positioning? I think that's them trying to avoid tampering. Oh. I really do. Like, they hope to meet with Van Vliet, yet it seems like they've been linked to Van Vliet more than anybody, and, like, reporters are saying that they'd be stunned if Van Vliet's not a rocket. That, to me, reads like, eh, we're trying to have receipts whenever they come investigate us for tampering. He says, in addition, the Rockets are expecting to meet with Kyrie Irving, those same sources said. Strong interest in Bruce Brown, who is said to have a good relationship with Adoka. Here is the scenario that Kelly Eco uh, paints if the Rockets miss out on some of these point guard top options. In that scenario, league sources say one idea presented was to aggressively pursue a player uh, like Bruce Brown, a wing defender with secondary Paul handling ability, and afford more on-ball ball reps to Thompson and Green to aid their development. Can I tell you who he is? Hmm. Okay, so we talk about if, if you're a coach that's taking a team to the finals like Udoka, you don't want to change your system too much, and you want to run the same kind of offense and defense. He's a poor man's Marcus Smart. He comes in. He Brown? Can, yeah. You think he can handle the ball that good? No. I, 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 aside from the ball handling, he's an on-ball defender. He can guard multiple positions. Yeah. He can make the open three. He can get in. He's got toughness. He can get in the lane. He can create things for himself and for others. Now, ball handling, I'll give you that. It might be a little questionable if you want him to be. But again, they if he's going to play transition basketball... Everybody's going to be bringing it over half court and pushing the tempo. See that scenario though, I don't, I don't love what you have handling the ball. Like you have, you're talking about uh, men who we don't think's ready. Mm-mm. We're talking about Jalen Green, who I think's way better off the ball, and we're talking about Bruce Brown, who I don't think's a point guard. So we've been talking for a year how this team needs a point guard. You draft the project point guard who's not ready, and then you don't bring in another point guard. I, I don't like the fallback plan. I, I think I th- I'd rather have Gabe Vincent. I think run my point than Bruce Brown. Like, I, if if they're playing point but, guard. But you just see what I'm saying, though, in oh, terms, for sure. especially on the defensive side of the ball. If I don't have Marcus Smart, but I have a guy like Bruce Brown who's like Marcus Smart light, sure. 
I'm good. If I have Grant Williams or I have Dylan Brooks, I've got a guy that I can put on on above average scores on the other team and at least slow them down and play physical with them. That's what Adoka's trying to do. He he has nothing that he can count on on the defensive end right now. Sure. But if you go that route, I, I want to trade for a veteran point guard that we've talked about. Like, it doesn't have to be Kyle Lowry, but somebody in that vein. Somebody, even if he has a big contract, it's only for one year. Like, if you go plan B, don't get these top point guards in free agency, I think that they need to trade for a point guard and then maybe go this route where you add a, a wing guy that can be your backup point guard uh, that's, that can get those minutes, that can play that style. But I think a point guard is... I think it's. And I think you have to have it. I think you have to. And it doesn't have to be free agency, but you have to leave this off season with a starting point guard. And I think you need that more than anything else, just to help him in. Well, you and I identified it yesterday. We were both on the same page with it, and I think it's the intelligent way of thinking about it. Looking at this team, you have to. I forget that you can. We can focus in on the who's right, and there are multiple choices, but there is no mistaking the two positions, and that is a big that can defend and a point guard, and it's not even in that order. Yeah. It's a point guard. And it's a big that could defend. It seems like they're they also have wing there though. Wing defender is going to be big for Odoka. Uh, yeah, like I, I don't necessarily need the wing big because or the wing defender because I feel like you already have it. I feel like Tari can do it. I feel like KJ Martin yep. can do it. Jay Sean Tate, if they like him, he can do it. Like, it's it's kind of curious to me. I, I think that's why I was going to say if you prioritize and then you prioritize the money accordingly with it too. I think you look at point guard, then you look at defending big. Then you look at whatever's left, trying to get the best wing defender you can because you know he's a veteran in the locker room. Depending on minutes, he's going to give you what you need when you call on him. But if you want to call on Tate and Eason and other guys too, that person should not have a problem with it because they got money and they got security and they ha- they know what their job is. 713-780-ESPN. We'll get your thoughts as the Rockets are entering free agency tonight with $66 million to spend. How do you want them to see? How do you want to see them use it? Also, let's get to the Kelly Eco projected big board for the Houston Rockets entering free agency as well. And we'll talk to Kelly at 2. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.